Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 21. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, uh, episode 21. So I'm sitting here with my good friend, my old friend, uh, Chris Knapp, and Chris is uh, spent yesterday and will spend today as a guest instructor for the Wilderness Bushcraft Semester students. Yesterday he uh, taught us all loads and loads and loads of awesome information about processing acorns as an amazing and bountiful and super nutritious food source. Um, but anyway, today, well, first of all, welcome, Chris. Welcome to the nice podcast. Nice to be here, Tim. <laughs> and we're going to talk today about what Chris does, um, the business that Chris and his wife run, and some interesting programs that they're, they have uh, coming up in the future. So just a little bit of background. I first met Chris, I think it was like 20, 20-something years ago. Um through our mutual friend and mentor Raymond Rizzi and we spent a lot of summers and winter weeks on the trail uh, canoeing and snowshoeing um, and just recently just recently reconnected and my best bit of trivia with Chris is that when he and his wife got married she wore a dress made out of brain tan buckskin deer hides that that I had the uh, good fortune of tanning so <laughs> I felt like I was a part of the a part of it anyway and we still got the dress and we're still married <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah so that was that was our beginning uh my wife and i spent a bunch of time with that man that tim mentioned ray Wrightsey, and he was i think an inspiration for both of us and provided for my wife and i a place to live and be upon the earth with a mentor, with really no bills to pay, um, and land to grow food, food to gather from the wild, trees to build a shelter from, which we built a really, you, know, you call it a shelter, but it was a home, beautiful earth, earth home, uh, shaped like a teepee with 400 peeled poles reaching up to the sky. And it was an experience that gave us a life, in a sense. It gave us a place to say, hey, we can take this earth and transform it into daily needs and, and live here and be happy. And uh, so now as we move forward in life, we don't live there anymore. We still have a lot of contact with uh, Ray Wrightsey, who we call Grandfather Ray. 
and we're we're creating programs that will give other people a similar experience a chance for a similar experience that's the goal so your business and we will have a link in the show notes is the Kovyashevik Local Living School. Did I pronounce that correctly? You got it right. And there's no wrong way to say it. That's the good thing about the word. You just sort of butcher it and just get it out. I'm really good at butchering words. So, and what what does the what does the term mean? Where does the word come from? Kovyashevik is the time and place of joy in the moment. And I don't know exactly you know, which native people in the far north, but it's, it's a word that comes um, from the Inuit people of w- way northern Alaska, up around, you know, north of the Brooks Range area. Cool. So a long, a long way from here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking um, this morning, and you're going to start offering, uh, essentially, Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, a similar sort of experience for people that you had when you were a young man, where people will come and stay with you for a length of time and and really learn the ins and outs of both uh, the homesteading end of things and the nature studies. Uh, so kind of a blend between the the um, you know the wild and the domestic. Is that? And- yeah, right on. Yeah. So we've been offering. For a bunch of years, I think since about 2009, we've had apprentices living with us. Usually spring, summer, fall, occasionally someone staying through the winter. It's been a great program. It's been unstructured in that people arrive at different times and often we'll have two or three, sometimes four apprentices. No one has ever paid us anything, and we've gotten a good trade out of their doing work for Kovyashevik because there's an endless amount of work as we create this lifestyle and this landscape that supports us. At the same time, something about two years ago shifted, and my wife and I said, you know, we would like to offer this experience, but we'd like to formalize it, and we'd like to get paid for it because we're giving away incredible opportunity and a lot of information and at the same time we're running around trying to teach programs trying to make money while we're working with these apprentices and we said well if we could just let go of those programs while they're here fully focus on the people and then we can we can raise the level of education and give them a hundred percent of our focus for the duration of their stay and that's the thought behind what we're calling the simple life internship which right now is just a two-month experience, and it may change, it may grow. We're going to originally offer it during May and June, which are a great two months because you begin right at the tail end of winter with the very first of following the wild season. You can live fully into the, the wild gathering of spring. And at the same time, because we're living on a functioning homestead, we've got all of the vegetables still in the root cellar, and we have our systems in place as far as um, a life that works with uh, rocket stoves to cook on and a cook stove to cook on when you're cold. And so people just step into a system that's, that's, that's happening and they can participate without making 
10,000 mistakes like we did along the way. They, they sort of hand it away and say, that's hey, a, this That's this a lowball number for me, just FYI. It's, it was actually 10,023. <laughs> I know you're, you're into precision, so. Uh, side note, greatest introduction I ever heard. Uh, I was at this, this trapping gathering. It was probably 20 years ago. This man was 95 years old, and he was going to give a talk on something. I don't, it doesn't matter what it was anymore. Every, all the young guys were standing around talking about how great they were and you know puffing up their chest. And this old guy just sat there on a bucket upside down, looking around, squinting. And eventually, everybody shut up and looked at him, and he was kind of looking around at the crowd, and he said, none of you are going to live long enough to make as many mistakes as I've made. So <laughs> I, at that, that guy had me, and you know, 20 years later, I'm still talking about it. Nice. Uh, yeah. I think that's an amazing opportunity because so many people start their journey and think self-reliance, I've got to go off in the woods by myself. And it takes years and years and years to kind of learn what to do, what not to do, and get those systems in place. So for someone to be able to step into something that's functioning and, you know, has stood the test of time already where, you know, you step in, the systems are in place and running and they just sort of learn the systems. It's a, it's a fantastic model. It's, um, you know, somewhat similar to what we do here. Our focus is a lot different here at the field school, but people showing up with a functioning humanure system, you know, the rocket stoves are built. They learn how to cook on the cook stove. Solar yeah, power is running. Yeah, great. Same ideas. There's a lot of parallels. But just showing up to a system that works because there's a lot of, you know, uh, and I don't want to, you know, talk badly about anyone or anything here, but there are a lot of people with some crazy ideas that aren't really tested and then don't really work in the real world. Like theoretically, it sounds great, but then when you go try to implement it, it doesn't work. So stepping into a system that's been working for years and years is, you know, that's a, just a tremendous gift, you know, that you give people, um, yeah, and I think one of the one of the things that's really neat about what we're doing is that it's not like you're going to a survival school where you're going to learn skills that are great skills, but you're learning them out of context, and then you're going to go home and pick up your life and keep going. And it's not like you're going to a farm that's so focused on the farm that they can't see the woods on the edge of the field, and that they're they're so excited when they say we finally got our first spinach and i say that's great we've been eating dandelions for a month mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're coming to a place that's going to offer both of those perspectives and we might we might take a little walk about for three days in the beginning and just leave leave a lot of stuff behind and go be in the woods and start fires with a bow drill and sleep in a shelter and then we return to the homestead with that perspective and carry forward that knowledge of dry firewood and how to lay a good fire as you know basic skill for your morning cup of tea yeah i'm in agreement with you that context is everything and a saying that we have around here that the modern world is really focused on skills uh you know i hear that word so many times and and i'm of the belief that if you do something every day it isn't a skill it's part of the culture that you have so i think that you know, from my perspective anyway, and I, it's, it is semantics to some extent, but, you know, I think what you're, what you're offering people is to step into a fully functioning culture as opposed to, like you said, with, with skills, context is everything, right? And, and in the right context, when skills are used as a holistic uh, grouping, 
Uh, to me, that's culture. It's yeah. not. It's not individual one-off. Yeah, that's a good word. I haven't gone so far as to call it. We call it a life way, and I think it's nice to call it culture because that really brings it down to a place of saying, "Hey, we got something real," and it feels really real. It feels like wow, a lot of people could do this and be wicked happy. Yeah, and it's just not. Uh, it's it's not common knowledge right now. So the biggest problem that I see with this is that uh, you need to go back in time and start it uh, 20 years ago so that I can participate. <laughs> I don't think my wife and kids will let me get away. but uh, So that's a big problem, and we're going to have to work on that. <laughs> um, but no, it sounds excellent. So um, you're looking at 2018 to start running this? Yeah, is that... two, spring of 2018. And what's the like group size? What's your what are you shooting for? What's your what's your maximum group size? Because mm-hmm. when people hear this, you're going to be inundated with uh, with signups. Yeah, right. I know. When there is so many thousands of people looking at your website every day, Tim, that the flood. I'm a little nervous, but the downside is you're probably going to get contacted by like at least five casting people from reality TV a day. Well, we already get that, so yeah. that's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, we're looking to have enough people that it feels like there's a small community of folks. And I think the minimum number would be four and the maximum would be 12. So I've worked a lot on a different semester program with Croca Expeditions and we generally have 12 students and that forms an amazing group that that number 12 is kind of magical. So that would be the maximum above that you have a crowd and it's too many. Uh, but I imagine year one or two, a group of six would be awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. And Chris and his wife, Ashira were, uh, you know, kind of created the curriculum for the semester that you mentioned at, at Croca, um, which runs, we we helped with it and it's changed a lot since then, but that's a functioning semester. It's still going on. We still work with it. And they run, uh, for high school age and, and, uh, later teenagers and they're out for five months on the trail and learning to grow their own food. And and that's a, another great, great program. The, The problem with the modern world is none of this stuff was available when I was a teenager and that still bugs me. Um, yeah, well, that sounds awesome. We'll, we'll put, as I said, a link to Kovyashevik in the show notes today. Um, one other cool thing about Chris, you know, I'm sure there's guys out there thinking, you know, want to know a little bit more about your background. And you and your wife spent an entire winter living in a wall tent in the bush, um, mm-hmm. correct? That was a while ago. but It was a while ago, yeah. It was in between the time when we left Grandfather Ray's place and when we moved to what is now... Kovyashevik and our home and so we had a year there where we hadn't really settled on our land our land was just a piece of woods and we said why don't we go spend it in a different piece of woods we went up uh, by Jackman Maine along the Moose River and uh, set up a tent well we went in by canoe because it was fall and then we're there for freeze up and and we just did hunting and trapping for the winter it was great and you lived in a, a canvas tent, or did you build a shelter? Or? Yeah, it was a tent that Ashira sewed, a uh, conical wall tent. Yeah. yeah, so for all the folks out there in podcast land who've maybe seen like the Dick Pranicky video, 
Um, I'm sitting here talking to, to a man who actually went out and did it, you know, paddled into the wilderness, lived in a wall tent, trapped and hunted all winter and, uh, came out with the, with the spring flood or. Yeah, we came out a little before then because we caught word through our friend Dwayne that, uh, Misha over at Croco was needing someone to teach the spring leg of that very first Vermont semester program, which was when they build a canoe and paddle down the Connecticut river. And we caught word of that, and we headed out and joined them in April to take part in that three months, the last three months of that program. And uh, But it had been a great winter, and we did it sort of Chris and Ashira style, where we, <laughs> it was, wasn't fully bush life. We, I remember in the canoe, we had <clears throat> a bag of carrots and a bag of beets and a bag of potatoes, things like that. We built a debris hut for our vegetables just left that sort of in a central area and throughout the winter occasionally we'd come back i don't know every three weeks or something and get some more food out of the so-called root cellar which was a debris <laughs> hut which worked really well the vegetables never froze and and the critters didn't find them so i was amazed that's <laughs> awesome so yeah when you build a shelter uh something that you said yesterday when you when you're on a remote piece of land the first thing you do is you build a house for yourself and then second you build a house for your food there you go and Probably some pretty happy beets and carrots and potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's super cool. Um, yeah, uh, I guess we'll wrap things up here. But, you know, if, if you're interested in learning, you know, everything about the living in the forest and living on a small homestead, let's say right now you are on floor 127 of a high rise <laughs> in Hong Kong or New York City and you're looking out the window wishing that instead you were looking out at the the vast forests of Maine and at fields overflowing with food, you should check this out for certain. Well, thank you very much for, for being with us. We actually have to run now because we've got another full day of, of programming here on the Wilderness Bushcraft Semester, but it's been awesome to have you up and it's been great to sit down and take this time to chat. Yeah, thanks so much, Tim. Mm-hmm.